Hi, I'm MJ, and welcome to Crawlmark. Hey guys, um, hopefully there will be more than one of you at some point. Um, welcome to Crawlmark. So what I'm going to do in this podcast is I'm going to watch one Hallmark movie every week, and then I'm going to talk about it. Um, Basically, I decided to start this because I realized recently that I am obsessed with Hallmark movies and I watch way too many of them. I started watching them ironically, but now I genuinely like them. I can still acknowledge that they're ridiculous though, and that's why I decided to make this podcast to kind of reconcile my love for them with their dumb plot lines and, you know, cheesy lines. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to watch every Hallmark movie made starting in 2010 uh, in chronological order. I don't really have a specific reason for starting in 2010 or it's more like I have a bunch of little reasons. Um, It's like a nice round number. I figure it's going to be easier to find those online than ones from like 2002. Um, And mostly because 2010 is when they started doing Countdown to Christmas. Now, because I am as basic as they come, I especially enjoy their fall and Christmas specials. Um, So I figured, you know, this is a good place to start. So this first movie is called The Wishing Well, starring Jordan Ladd and Jason London. I don't know either of them, because you know how you become familiar with certain actors when they do a bunch of Hallmark movies? They are both new to me. Okay, so I don't know anything about this movie. Um, So I'm going to try to guess what it's about from just the title and the poster, which I'm looking at now. So in the poster, um, we have this woman and she's holding a penny. And then, and, and she's, oh, she's like in the city. And then at the bottom, we have uh, an old man, an older woman, a guy, I'm assuming, you know, the guy, and a little girl. And they're like in the country with the wishing well. So I'm assuming just because of, you know, my experience with Hallmark movies and because I know kind of like the formula that they follow, um, she's probably going to be like some kind of high-powered career woman um, living in the city. And she's going to have to go to the country for work-related reasons. I'm going to say she goes to the country for work-related reasons, but she has some sort of car malfunction or something that forces her to stay. Um, And the old man is going to be the one to introduce her to the wishing well. I'm guessing, I don't know if he's like the guy's grandpa or his dad. He looks too old to be his dad. Um, Whatever. He's going to be kind of like a mysterious old man, you know what I mean? Who like maybe knows a little more than he's letting on. Um, and I don't know how cheesy they were willing to go with this one. So I, I can't decide if I think that the wishing well is actually magic or if it's more of a, you know, the friends you found along the way kind of deal. Um, I'm going to say that I'm going to say it's actually magic, you know, why not? They went for it. Oh, and the little girl, I don't know. I'm he doesn't strike me as like a divorcee. So, I'm going to say that uh she's the main guy's 
little sister, maybe. Um, and well, you know, obviously they fall in love and because, okay, I want to say that her wish is something that like kind of goes against um, what he wants or like something about the small town that he lives in, that he loves. And so that's going to be like the conflict. Um, but then in the end, she decides that, you know, he's more important to her than her wishes. And she's going to stay in the small town and they're going to fall in love. I mean, that's that's the one thing that I know I'm guaranteed <laughs> to be right about. So I'm going to say that. Um, so yeah, those are my predictions for this. Oh, also, there's going to be zero people of color because it's 2010. So I figure they weren't feeling um, super pressured yet to include... Um, to have any diversity whatsoever in their movies. So I'm going to say zero. Um, by the like, I don't even mean just like, I don't mean background characters. They might have some extras, but I feel like to, in order for it to qualify as, you know, a movie having a person of color in it, they have to at least have one line. So I'm going to say this one doesn't have anyone. Um, and yeah, okay, I think that's it. So I'm going to watch the movie and come back with my thoughts on it. And of course, feel free to watch along with me and send me your predictions. Okay, so I just finished watching The Wishing Well. I'm going to save my rating for the end. Uh, but right off the bat, I was right about two things. Uh, the well was magic, and she was a career woman. Although, to be fair, that one's pretty easy, because in most Hallmark movies... Um, the protagonist is a career woman who doesn't actually like her life. Um, so the movie starts with her and her friend bragging about how great their lives are. And to be fair, she has a huge apartment in New York, so I can see why. Um, then she goes to the office. She works for a celebrity magazine. And her assistant is, well, they never say that he's gay, but I would think that he is so actually a little more diverse than i thought i didn't even think to predict like how many gay people because i just didn't think that was ever going to happen but i guess you know i'm going to add that to my predictions i you know i mean hopefully there's at least one openly gay couple um at some point um, so at her job, she has a conversation with her boss, who is aggressively British, about how she's lost her edge or whatever. And for some reason, his idea for her to get her edge back is to go to this tiny town and report on a wishing well. You know, one of those, the classic uh, report on a wishing well plan. Um, I also really liked that her boss gave off really strong, like, J. Jonah Jameson vibes. Is that his name? His um, Spider-Man's boss. <laughs> like, I really expected him to go bring me pictures of Spider-Man at some point. He was so, like, I don't know, in like, shouty <laughs> all the time. Um, so anyway, she goes to this place. It's called Slow Creek, because of course. Um, and as soon as she gets there, she runs into the main guy, her love interest, um, but they are super rude to each other uh, from the beginning for absolutely no reason. I mean, she is honestly kind of a bitch. I'm going to get into that later, though. Anyway, she gets to this inn. It's a very cute inn, and it's run by the most adorable man ever. Like, I 
initially didn't like Jim because of his old man overalls. I don't know why, but they just rubbed me the wrong way. But honestly, he won me over. He's so cute. So anyway, she settles in and she sees the well through the window because I guess the well is at the inn. Um, so she goes outside and there's this girl at the wishing well. Um, look, I don't feel great about bad-mouthing a little kid, but I really, there's something about this girl that I just don't like. I'm sorry. She's like, I, I guess she's cute, but I don't know. There's just something, I don't know if it's her acting, but there's just something about her that bothers me. That might be shitty of me to say, but that's, it is what it is. I mean, you're not listening to a Hallmark movie podcast for the cold takes. I'm here with the truth and with the hot takes because I know my audience. Um, anyway, the little girl is there making a shit ton of wishes. She has like five quarters lined up. Uh, and Cynthia, that's the main character. I forgot to mention that. Uh, Cynthia asks her how it works. And the rules are basically bullshit because it's like, you really have to believe and you have to make the right wish. But obviously you don't know what that is. So basically to me, that's like you have to believe that something that's likely to happen is going to happen. I mean, right? It just seems like such a cop out for those to be the two rules. Because then there are like it's so easy to claim that if you don't get your wish, it's either your fault because you didn't believe enough or it's your fault because you didn't wish the right wish like i don't know that seems really shitty then she goes to a diner and she offers cafe au lait like a pretentious new yorker when that's just coffee with milk i love how they just had her order something that was kind of exotic but it's it's really just coffee with milk but okay um so, oh, she talks to the lady at the diner and she tells Cynthia, forgot her name there for a second. She tells Cynthia that her cousin or something wished his depression away. Oof, that one, that was rough. I mean, like she could have said anything. She could have said that her cousin like won the lottery or found the woman of his dreams or just got into his dream school just so many things that they could have gone with but no he wished his depression away so don't we all just wish we had a wishing well um I mean I would settle for a wishing bucket at this point um anyway then she goes to the newspaper the local newspaper and Guess what? The receptionist, I think, or secretary, I don't know, uh, is a black woman. So, hooray. Um, more, again, more diversity than I expected. Uh, the bar is pretty much underground, but I mean, still. Um, and obviously, the love interest is the guy who runs the newspaper. So, they meet again, and they're Again, terrible to each other for no reason. Other than, you know, the fact that she just straight up sucks, to be honest. And here's the thing. If it was like a conscious decision to make her a bitch, then that's great. And I actually think it's pretty brave to have your protagonist be unlikable. 
especially when it's a woman, because I do feel like uh, us women tend to be under more pressure to be like polite and sweet. So, and I guess, I guess that was the intention because, um, you know, she was a cold hearted career woman. Um, but I guess that's where I have a problem where it's like, you know, if that's her personality, she should have stayed that way. Even if she like relaxed a little bit and started um, seeing this newspaper guy, but no, she becomes super sweet because she's now a small town girl. <laughs> but anyway, I'm digressing. The point is she's pretty terrible. Uh, and then she goes to this warehouse because she's uh, looking for just articles on the wishing well so that she can find her angle or whatever. Um, she actually had a really snooty comment earlier uh, where she's like, I'm a writer. That's how I work. And it's like, okay, Pulitzer, calm down. You write for a celebrity magazine, you know? Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, she comes here acting like she's freaking, I don't know, who's a great writer? Margaret Atwood, whatever. Um, she's the first person I thought of. Anyway, she goes to the archives, uh, and there's a fucking hawk, I guess. And some kind of bird of prey. Um who shits on her immediately. And I'm like, go Napoleon. That's his name. Um, they, <laughs> she and uh, Mark is the love interest's name. They have a really weird conversation where he's like, uh, be thankful you're not a rat. And she's like, I couldn't be happier about that. And it's like, I guess I get what they were trying to do. It's like a little banter, but that's such a weird thing to say. Uh, also, she never wipes the shit off her sweater, and that bothered me for the entire scene. I mean, you know, you're not going to wipe it off with your hands, but, like, I don't know, she could have grabbed something, just, like, a, a box lid or something. I don't know. Anyway, just better than letting it get all, like, crusty. And actually, it's it bothered me even more because she never wiped it off but it looked like it seeped into her sweater instead of going crusty, which is what I believe it would do. Like, I'm pretty sure that's what the consistency of bird shit is, but I could be wrong. I mean, I haven't been shat on in years. <laughs> so, I mean, I can live with myself if I'm wrong, though. I don't really want to get shat on. Shit on? Whatever. Also, Napoleon, the bird, the whatever it is, hawk, falcon... I don't know what the difference between those two is. That bird makes the exact same noise every time it fucking moves. It was so distracting. Like, at one point, I was just thinking, shut the fuck up. Because every time it moved, it would go, Bee! I can't do a falcon. Um, anyway. So, they're mean to each other again. Um, turns out, the little girl is his daughter, which I was wrong about. I thought he seemed too young, but that was just, honestly, that was just the low resolution on the poster, which should have been obvious in hindsight. I'm pretty disappointed in myself because I would say a good like 40% of Hallmark movies, or I might have to revise that percentage as I watch them, but I, but the point is a lot of them feature single dads. 
and single moms, but more so single dads. Oh, anyway, at this point, I realized I knew the actor who plays Mark from something. So I looked him up on IMDb and he was in an episode of Criminal Minds. I think that's what I remember him from. But also he was on this movie called The Lamp and I've never seen it, but I think it's a, it's like a ripoff of uh, Aladdin, I think. Um, so I've never seen the movie, but but uh, Danny Gonzalez has this hilarious YouTube video on it. So I just really recommend it if you like people making fun of bad movies. She goes to the wishing well again with the girl. Her name is Abby, the little girl. Uh, and Abby says that she has been wishing for her dad to be happy. And <laughs> Cynthia says that he didn't seem unhappy at the newspaper. And I'm like... Uh, yes, he did. He's been unhappy in every conversation you've had. And if I were Cynthia, I would chalk it up to, you know, my terrible attitude. <laughs> but, like, he's definitely unhappy. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know that he's unhappy with his entire life. But if his kid told me he's unhappy, I wouldn't be like, no, no, no. I don't think he is. He seems so positive. Because he doesn't. So anyway, they decide for some reason that, uh, oh, because the well hasn't been working. Um, like it's been a recurring thing that a lot of people in the town have mentioned that it hasn't worked in a while. Um, so for some reason, Cynthia and Abby uh, decide that wishing for something at the same, for like for different things at the same time is going to make it work. Uh, and it does. <laughs> to be fair, but that's just such a weird conclusion to draw. Like, I don't know how they thought of that, but okay. Um, so this, I was actually really surprised uh, by the next part of the movie, which is not something that I would say happens often for me with uh, Hallmark movies because, you know, they do tend to follow a formula. Um, but she wakes up at the end, even though she fell asleep on the plane home to New York, and she's just a completely different person. Like, she's herself, but she's from Nebraska for some reason. Like, I don't know why they had to change her hometown, but okay. Uh, she's from Nebraska, and she's going to be working uh, in the newspaper. She doesn't have, she's never had her old job. Um, so yeah, I didn't expect the wish to work that way, but I did expect it to be real magic. So I was kind of close. Um, so she looks at her ID immediately for some reason, and she notices that she's now from Nebraska, which I would be really freaked out by. She is, to be fair. Uh, anyway, her clothes are all different too, which, you know, eh, that kind of bothered me a little bit because it's like, I don't know, like a career woman bad small town girl good, you know, but whatever. Um, so anyway, she goes to the newspaper and Mark is like, yeah, you're going to work here. And she's just like, what? No. And he, I just thought it was really funny that he said like, yeah, we talked on the phone and we agreed you would start today. You're from Nebraska. And it's like, why the fuck would he mention that? Like you would assume that a person knows their own hometown like, she doesn't because she's in a very weird situation, but that's not what most people would assume. So it's just very weird that he thought it was important for him to reiterate where she's from, but whatever. She is then 
mean to Jim, which I cannot forgive because he's such a sweetheart. He's, I mean, he comes to the diner to let her know that her check bounced, but that he's willing to float her like a complete stranger. And she has the gall to be rude to him. What the hell? She's like, do you know how much money I make? Which, I mean, I understand she's Again, in a very weird situation, but come on, Jim is so nice and it's not his fault. Um, she has another conversation with Mark and finally accepts the job because she realizes that she has no money. Um, it, it's super weird because she keeps saying all this weird shit like, no, I work for a magazine. No, I'm from New York. Uh, like all this stuff and Mark doesn't react to any of it. He's just like, do you want the job? Do you want the job? Do you want the job? And it's like, okay, but like, why? Like, I'm not sure I would want to hire this person if they just seem to like not even know the reality that they live in. You know, she, she seems so delusional. Like, I don't understand why he's just not reacting to that at all. But okay. Uh, then she has a very heavy handed dream with a voiceover, like it wasn't heavy handed enough that she's dreaming of her old life and seeing uh, her face on the cover of a magazine and then starts burning. No, there also needs to be a voiceover of her wondering if her friends from her old life were her real friends or not. And just, you know, they, yeah, we're not going for subtlety there. Um, and it ends with the most anticlimactic wake up ever. Like I expected her to maybe like gasp a little bit or something because uh, the dream ends when the magazine catches on fire and she kind of um, throws it away from her and steps back and is like really freaked out in the dream. But then she wakes up so peacefully. Um, so that was weird. Uh, and then there's a really weird scene where she goes to a funeral for this local weirdo um sounds a lot like boo radley basically just like lived in a shed nobody ever saw him or spoke to him but i guess he was a great guy because he paid his rent on time always so i don't know this lady gives the um eulogy she has the weirdest voice the woman ends the eulogy by saying that uh her father is smiling down at her for, I think she paid for the funeral for this dude. But I don't know, just the way she says, like, he's smiling. She just delivers the whole thing, the whole eulogy, and then, like, her reflection on her dead father with the same expression on her face. So I don't know, that line just cracked me up. Um, so right after this, Cynthia uh, interacts with Abby, and their interactions together are really awkward. I don't know what it is about them too, but they just have zero chemistry. Uh, she and Mark have their first civil conversation. It takes everything in Cynthia to be like just the bare minimum of polite. Um, but she finally takes his constructive criticism and she starts being happy with her job. So that's nice. Then she goes to the police chief to... I guess interview him for an article, but it's like a bunch of nothing because it's just like, oh, a dog was barking. Um, and the woman from the funeral comes in to 
let him know something that actually does sound like a problem that like parking meters are taking people's money and then not giving them any time so essentially stealing from them and for some reason the police chief just hides in the bathroom to avoid doing his fucking job and i don't know i feel like we're meant to feel like this woman is like such a hard ass like always complaining and and like being a real karen like can i speak to your manager but uh she's fucking right <laughs> and like the police chief is straight up not doing his job especially for something that seems like a pretty simple fix i mean i don't know if there's paperwork but still like your only other case right now is the case of the barking dog so i feel like you could probably take a little a little time to fix the parking meters uh but fuck this woman right so anyway, Cynthia keeps getting all these corrections from Mark, which does make me wonder how she worked in a magazine before. Like, I get the whole point is like, Mark says that he's just, that he sees a lot of potential in her and he wants her to be the best that she can be. But I don't know. I mean, that's a lot of corrections every single time, but fine. Anyway, then she has another awkward interaction with Abby and says that, uh, well, they're both sad, so she decides to give Abby a makeover. Well, she says that they're both getting makeovers, but she doesn't do anything to herself. She just um, puts a little makeup on Abby. Uh, she tells her about plucking her eyebrows, which, come on, she's nine, you know? I feel like she can, she still has a few years before she has to worry about that. And even then, you know, it should be her choice whether she wants to worry about that at all also abby asks if that's what having a mom is like and she's like yeah i mean i still do all this stuff with my mom too and i'm like well you never try to call your mom though like i think that's probably the first thing i would try to do if i woke up and realized that i have an entirely different life than i had had up till that point like probably my number one worry would be whether my family is still my family, whether they're different. Cause like, you know, your hometown is different. So who knows what else changed? You know, I feel like that can change a lot of stuff. So I don't know. I just thought it was weird that she mentioned her mom, but you know, her mom had like absolutely no presence in her life other than that, but okay. Um, so then uh, she goes to do this article on a guy who has a lighter collection. Uh, I thought he was really sweet, to be honest. Like, he's such a harmless weirdo. Um, and then his uh, house catches on fire because he tries to uh, light up as many as he can at the same time. And he catches his curtains. Um, so Cynthia and Mark go to the scene i guess uh and decide to have that be on the front page because it's obviously like the one thing of note that has happened in this town and god knows how long um so they work through the night and they're such a good team um to put that on the front page and then nobody reads the front page they do this montage montage <laughs> uh they do this montage of all the characters that we've met reading the paper so that they can all congratulate Cynthia on her work later, but none of them are reading the front page, which is where the article is. So, um, oh, also, 
the weird guy with the lighters really reminds me, his voice and like awkward demeanor remind me of uh, Teddy from Bob's Burgers. I love Teddy. He's probably my favorite, even though I love every character. Uh, Cynthia gets the town council to agree to rent uh, Teddy, whatever his name is uh, in the movie, a house for cheap because he's basically homeless now. Um, so that's nice. I mean, I feel like, you know, how is he paying rent, even if it's cheap, but I guess it's better than nothing. Uh, and she gives the diner lady the most awkward high five ever. I hated it. Oh, and like one scene later, she claps at a meteor shower. What? Who does? Okay. Because, and if you're going to clap for it, just you have to go for it. You know, you have to lean into it. But she kind of, she kind of clap. It makes it seem like it's a choice that the actress made, but she wasn't sure about it. So she kind of just did it in a very small way. And it was just like three tiny little claps and then she stopped and it was very weird so anyway after the meteor shower uh the diner lady takes abby uh to her house so that mark and cynthia can have some alone time and there's this weird phenomenon i've noticed with hallmark actors and actresses more so the actors were like you know they're all somewhat attractive it's just that they're above average, like they're not the kind of people that you see on an everyday basis, but they're not hot enough to be properly famous, you know? And I feel like with the men especially, they'll look kind of meh, but then when they smile, they go up like three attractiveness points, whatever that means to you. <laughs> Uh, and this guy is not the exception, you know, I, he's like an okay white guy, but then, you know, he smiles and he's, eh, he's kind of cute, you know, still not super cute, but he's okay. Um, anyway, then they have their first kiss and it's actually very cute. I know I've been pretty snarky about the whole movie <laughs> so far. Uh, and I don't want this to be like super cynical and to shit on everything. So I will say that I actually really liked their kiss because it was pretty spontaneous and they didn't make a big deal out of it. And then, you know, he was kind of like cutely embarrassed about it. And yeah, I low-key enjoyed it. Um, so then, oh, the evil city people come to the newspaper because they're buying it. Because, uh, you know, they're going bankrupt. Um, I hate how, you know, it's never just like a guy looking for a business opportunity is going to buy the paper. It's always like, oh, this evil businessman is going to buy it and turn it into a strip mall or something. I don't know. I feel like evil businessmen are always trying to make strip malls. Turning, are always trying to turn beloved local institutions into strip malls. So anyway, the evil city people arrive at the newspaper. Uh, Mark's clothes don't fit. I'm not sure if this goes on the entire movie. I feel like I wasn't paying close attention. But in this scene, there everything he's wearing is so big. Like at least a size too big. He's about to sign when 
the lady with the weird voice from the funeral comes to tell them that Boo Radley uh, left all the money that he saved up from paying very little rent, but very punctually, of course, um, to the newspaper because he loved it so much. Uh, that's the one character trait that we learn about him. He, well, two character traits. He was always on time with rent and loved the newspaper. That's Boo Radley for you. Um, so they're saved. Newspaper is saved. Um, and guess what? It was all a fucking dream. I did not see that coming. Again, this movie surprised me twice. So that's already way more than I was expecting. Um, well, not a dream. It was like an alternate reality, I guess. Well, no, I guess it was a dream. Because her wish was... I wish I knew how to be happy, which is, I actually really like that phrasing because I feel like it gives you agency. It's not like, you know, I wish I were happy, like being happy is something that happens to you. It's more like, yeah, I, I want to know what I would need to do in order to be happy. So I kind of like that, honestly. Um, so I guess the dream was to show her how to be happy. Um, at this point, I was like, there's like seven minutes left in the movie. How the fuck are they going to fix this? I thought maybe like she would go back to the wishing well and wish for that life and you know she would carry on in that timeline like nothing happened but no uh she oh for some reason everyone keeps uh, confusing Indiana and Illinois and I I don't get it like is that something or is it just like a joke that didn't land because I don't get it. And they do it like three times when she goes back to her office. So I don't know. If someone knows what that's about, let me know. Um, so she's on her way to this really important interview that um, actually gets her a promotion, which is what she wanted from the beginning of the movie. Uh, and on the way there, she realizes that, you know, what makes her happy is Slow Creek and the people there obviously so she goes back and she goes to the wishing well and that's when I thought that she was gonna do that but I actually think I like it better this way where she doesn't wish for that life back she just um, goes to have lunch I think with uh, Mark and Abby and I guess they will uh, and it's left kind of open-ended you know I guess obviously we're meant to uh, believe that she and Mark are going to end up falling in love anyway. Well, I mean, she's already there, but you know. Um, and I think that's, yeah, pretty nice. Um, so that's it. That is The Wishing Well. First Hallmark movie down, woohoo. Um, so I would rate this one, I think I would give it a seven out of 10. I'm probably gonna have to adjust my scale as I watch more of them. But I think this is a good place to start. And uh, 7 out of 10 because it was uh, a little more diverse than I thought it would be. Uh, a very little, but again, I'll take what I can get. Um, it surprised me twice, the story, um, which is not something I expected. It has Big Jim in it, the sweetest man with his... Terrible, terrible old man overalls. 
Um, and I guess the reason it's not a 10 is because, well, first of all, for me, a Hallmark movie has to be either fall or Christmas themed in order to have a shot at being a 10. Okay, I just, I need the coziness and the nostalgia of the holidays or of the season and this doesn't have that so I'm sorry I am biased this is my podcast so uh, that just takes away a little bit for me and also just you know what they do sometimes with straight couples where they like seem to hate each other I'm not a fan of that it's one thing to have like tension like sexual tension that comes out as bickering a little bit like I get that but like these two were straight up rude to each other a lot and I'm not a huge fan of that and she was pretty terrible and yet I feel like I would have preferred her to stay like remain terrible but instead she just turned into this really like angelic person by the end of the movie and that was kind of weird and also Abby I I'm sorry I just do not like that kid <laughs> but you know let me know if you agree or disagree uh, I want to know your thoughts let me know how much you love Big Jim because he's the best um, but yeah that's it in the next episode of Crawlmark I will be watching Ice Dreams starring Jessica Caulfield I guess and Shelley Long Wait, his, his name is Shelly? Huh. I never knew that was also a man's name, but okay. Um, so looking at the poster now and from the title, I am going to guess that she is a uh, figure skater and he's a hockey player. I mean, that that's pretty obvious because he's wearing like a hockey jersey kind of thing. So I'm going to guess that they are rivals. Yeah, I'm going to say, oh, oh, you know what would be really fun? If he, like, for some reason his coach said that he had to learn figure skating in order to get better at hockey or something like that. And he was, like, dissing figure skating but then realized how much of a real sport it is or something like that. Um, that's probably not it, but how amazing would that be, right? But yeah, I mean, I'm guessing the trope is enemies to lovers, but we'll see. I mean, again, that's a pretty safe bet with probably like a good 80% of Hallmark movies are enemies to lovers. Not that I'm complaining, it's probably my favorite trope. And as for diversity, I think there's going to be two people of color in this movie. And sadly, I feel like there's going to be zero LGBT representation so if you want to watch along with me, that's the movie that I'm watching for the next episode. Thank you for listening. Please let me know what you think and send me your predictions. You can find me on Twitter at CrawlmarkPod and on Instagram at CrawlmarkPodcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave a positive review on iTunes. And if you didn't, you can do the same and trick the worst people in your life into listening. Bye!